Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! Hello and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a pair of incredible young songwriter performers whose music isn't super similar, but who both embrace a sort of ultra-modern mishmash of styles. Dorian Electra and Claude. Now, Claude was the first performer signed to Phoebe Bridger's new label, Saddest Factory, after spending some time in a duo called Toast. Claude's debut album, Super Monster, is most often described as bedroom pop. That term is brought up in this chat, but that's only a small part of it. There are hints of all kinds of sounds here, from vaguely Latin-esque to pop-punkish on the delightful track that's Mr. Bitch to you. Check out a little bit of Cuff Your Jeans, one of the best tracks from Super Monster. Call your phone, you never answer. Missing out on endless banter. You've never been that good at small talk. Dorian Electra has been added a bit longer than Claude, having made a splash around 10 years ago with playful, politically charged songs about money and gender fluidity. Electra was featured on the Charlie XCX track Fembot a few years back, and in 2020 released their second album, My Agenda, which features everyone from Pussy Riot to Village People. It's a killer addition to the still nascent genre called hyperpop. Check out a little bit of the title track from My Agenda. Electra and Claude have a great conversation here, tackling everything from the importance of Spotify playlists, which played a role in each of their successes, to college, to the complicated commercialization of Pride Month. Enjoy. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Good. Cool hair. We kind of have like similar colors going. I like never wash my hair, so it always just stays. It holds the color. That is nice to me. I'm like... Uh, I there's something psychological about just washing hair with hot water clean usually when I have fresh color I don't do it but then it's torture for me to not mm-hmm. <laughs> to not do it for a while but it is better to not wash it as much as I think shampoo companies want you to think you know <laughs> they're scheming you actually don't need to wash your hair as much as they say you do absolutely one of my favorite examples of this kind of thing was in the 60s when they were trying to sell Lysol as a vaginal douching product, which is crazy. <laughs> like if you if you Google like the Lysol like 1960s ads, whatever, it'd be like a woman and a husband. Are you the cause of your husband's being cold to you lately, or like are, <gasps> like your marriage falling apart? It's probably your fault for your like lack of feminine hygiene. Buy Lysol for you know your most intimate needs or whatever, and literally selling it for. Yeah, douching, which is so crazy and messed up. Oh my god. I would not have survived the 60s. I think I would have uh, crumbled. (laughs) Yeah. I remember one time I was doing this witch tour with my mom and she was like, they definitely would have burned me at the stake as a witch back in the day. <laughs> I, I was like a little kid and I was like disturbed by that. But now it's obvious fucking all of us would be fucking burned as one thing or another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Whoa. Where'd you grow up? In Houston, Texas. What about you? Um, I grew up right outside of Chicago. 
Oh, wait, where where outside Chicago? Highland Park. I went to school in Chicago. You did? Yeah, I went to Scheimer College, which was on the campus of IIT oh, and the cool. South Loop. Yeah, I love Chicago so much. I grew up in the suburbs, so I never really got to know it that well. Mm. Although when I was like 17 or 16, my brother got me like a fake ID and I would go to drag nights and stuff like that. Amazing. Where are you right now? I live in New York. Okay, cool. That's right. What about you? L.A. Okay. Do you like it? <laughs> I love L.A. I mean, it's funny because... I'm really missing being in New York because I haven't been in forever and like I want to see all my friends there and stuff but in terms of like living living I really like it because it's like I'm literally looking outside my window and I can see like a palm tree right now <laughs> and I'm like that I can't complain about that the weather's like fucking perfect all the time but I have been feeling lately like I mean I've been connecting with most people online and stuff anyway but there is something interesting like I guess I'm maybe starting to feel a little bit of the cultural difference between LA and New York that people talk about kind of like I feel like for LA you know people always stereotype it as being vapid or whatever and I haven't really experienced that it's not the people I hang out with but I do feel like there's something special about New York that there's like fine art there and then there's like like fashion and also like there's a lot more schools and stuff I feel like so there's a lot more concentration of that kind of stuff mm -hmm. intellectual type shit or whatever I don't know I guess here there's just USC and UCLA obviously great schools but there's just not as many I think all my experiences in LA started out as industry type experiences and then once I realized that that does not have to be my LA experience and I started meeting friends and there's like so much good art in LA and so many talented people that it really doesn't matter I don't know it doesn't really matter where you go I feel like if you have the internet you can like <laughs> find people <laughs> totally and that's why yeah it's, I mean I love it here and like just love everyone that I've met and I don't feel like it's vapid in that way if like you said you find the right people yeah you work with a lot of people, like you do a lot of collabs, right? Mm -hmm. Are those usually like in person for you or is it, do you like meet people online? I've done writing camps and now as people are starting to get vaccinated, I'm starting to plan some more that I'm really excited about and stuff because for me, it's all about being in person. I never really write over like beats that people send me and stuff because I like to be there. I think all the time in terms of production and stuff with somebody in person. We'll go back and forth between talking about the concept of the song, the lyrics, whatever the potential music video would be, and then being like picking instruments and stuff like that. So it's, it's really collaborative, but I've been trying to challenge myself to like just write over chords and acoustic guitar and stuff because that's something I've never really done before because I feel like that will lead to maybe like stronger songwriting or something with like the top line just being really, really good. So yeah, but quarantine was hard because I was trying to do stuff over Zoom. Like I wasn't seeing anybody, but luckily I was promoting my album. So I wasn't in the writing process as much. So that was lucky for me. But what about you? I started writing songs with very limited, no knowledge of production, just guitar and just trying to like sing <laughs> with my guitar. And then I feel like learning how to produce and like learning different instruments expanded my writing capabilities. But now I'm back to being like, no, it's not a perfect song unless it sounds perfect by itself, which isn't always true, but sometimes is actually very much the case. I haven't been able to do Zoom sessions. It's too hard. I prefer to be in the room with somebody. It's just way better. Like the give and take of being in the room with somebody is much better. I have ADHD and I'm very like jumping around from thing to thing all the time. I didn't realize this about myself till recently, but I have to like be standing up and walk around the room or like dance to the beat to be like, is this like, is this the right, like literally feeling like, is this BPM good? Like, you know, all that. <laughs> yeah. And then also like, I like to be snacking, you know, this and that as I'm doing it. So yeah, physical movement's a big part of it. 
What are your thoughts on genre? And there are all these different categories that artists have put themselves in, in terms of how you're going to market yourself or, you know, what people ask you. I've never really given a shit about genre or anything. What would you say others on the outside say that your music is indie? Or like, I don't even know what that means. If that, if, I don't know if that's like 20 year old term. Like, I don't even no. know what's what anymore in terms of stuff. But <laughs> I classify my music as just like indie pop, I guess. I think that's just like a nice general broad term that I don't mind. A lot of people call it like bedroom pop but i never understood what that even means oh okay yeah i've heard that term also yeah i don't really like get that is it supposed to be like a little more lo-fi or kind of like diy sounding a little bit yeah but like my stuff isn't really that lo-fi like it's pretty like produced like i don't know (laughs) do you like consider yourself in like the hyper pop world right or no I definitely do by default because that's just what's happened. Again, like these genres aren't really a choice or whatever, but it's like, you know, that's what me and everyone that I've collaborated with for the most part, you know, is getting grouped into that. The way I saw it, I was always like looking at, say, like the hyperpop playlist and I'm like, okay, I know the majority of these people or they're very close friends of mine. Like yeah. that prob- that, that's probably somewhat of an indicator that I'm related in some way to this music scene. Yeah. I don't really mind the term. You never want to be boxed in as an artist. Like I think that a lot of stuff that is called hyperpop, I think, I think that my stuff all also sounds like really different or whatever, but that also shares a lot of similarities too. And everybody, every artist thinks that. Like everyone's like, well, my stuff sounds totally different, you know, whatever. But yeah, I do consider, I mean, I since it's based on like a lot of people that I'm friends with and have worked with, I feel like that's where the core of how we're sharing musical ideas and production techniques and all that kind of like where the genre comes from in that sense. Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that because I feel like We started, I don't know when you started releasing music, but it probably was around the same time that I did. Mostly 2018, like pretty much. Same. And I feel like there wasn't these like sub-genres yet. There wasn't even like really playlists weren't even super prominent yet. But a lot of people who started releasing music before, like the playlists popped off and like, whoa, different genres, like, you know. It was more just, we never had the intention of like, this is the type of music I want to make. It was just like, oh, I'm making this type of music, you know? Totally. Yeah, it is really crazy to like reflect on how much that's changed in the past three, four years in terms of playlists and how much they mean and how much they can establish a scene. Was there a playlist that was as impactful in that way in terms of establishing a genre for anybody in your kind of scene? There definitely was a bedroom pop playlist and then maybe two years ago. I got like hit up and they were like, we're starting this new playlist called Lorem. Do you wanna, I think I, I can't remember if I curated it or if I was just on the cover of it for a week or something. And then now Lorem's like this huge playlist. Mm. What's the sound of that one? I remember there was an article about it and they were like, yeah, we want people to be able to listen to Harry Styles and then Claude. Fusing like pop and like more indie pop or something like that, yeah. Yeah, I feel like everything under the indie pop umbrella. And also like trying to help people find new artists by maybe bringing in some like bigger names, like you're saying, like Harry Styles or something. I feel like the, the biggest benefit to something like, say, like the Hyperpop playlist or some of these playlists is that it gives smaller artists a chance to like have a platform. And most of these artists are totally independent. That's the other thing, too. And then some of them then, you know, their song blows up on TikTok or whatever, and they get, you know, signed or whatever. But I mean, for the most part, I feel like, yeah, they're like a lot of really young artists and like totally independent artists. And that's cool because without that name, people might not know what type of music to search for or something, but they, they have the name now and then they can find people who, you know, might fit into that. So I think that's the coolest, just like having seen people's reactions to it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's great. I've been thinking a lot lately, too, about boxes. And I think that it can definitely put people in boxes, which is scary. 
but that's always an issue no matter what yeah and it's like sometimes people need a box i think to be able to interpret something because they're like wait a second what is this like what am i listening to or what am i getting into and i pretty much go back and forth in the same thing thinking about boxes in general a lot as well but everything you put out is so cohesive and i really like admire your work for that you have such a vision and and i think you do such a good job of communicating it and showing it to the world Thank you. It's funny to hear somebody say cohesive because sometimes, you know, I feel, but I think a lot of artists probably feel like this. Maybe you feel like this too. I'm putting out this vibe and then I want to do this vibe and like it all feels really different. But to somebody else, they hear your voice on the music, they see your face in the visuals and it feels cohesive. But um, yeah, because I think some people can get trapped on the other side by it being like, you know, I have to, like I'm talking to one of my friends who's like trying to pick the tracks that are going to be in their album and they're like, well, you know, this one needs to be like more similar to this one. And I'm like, no, they sound similar enough to me. Like I like the diversity of sound in, in an album. Like I don't want it to all sound the same, you know? Sometimes I'm like, I can't put this song out. No one will know it's me. And then everybody's like, what are you talking about? Your videos are really sick too. Do you direct them? Thank you. Yeah, I direct them with my creative partner, Weston Allen. And we've done like, yeah, we've done stuff together since like, I'm blanking on the year, but a long ass time. <laughs> we've been working together like on pretty much everything for oh, wow. forever. Yeah. Well, how long did you live in Chicago? Um, For four years during school. So it was like from... 2010 to 2014. I feel like Chicago is definitely where I, I met like my a lot of friends and people that I ended up working with and music and also like the drag scene there and like just meeting people there. That was where I heard somebody using like they them pronouns for the first time. And mm. I was like, huh, what is that? Like, that's kind of like weird, you know, like at first, like, you know, it's been a long time since that. But, you know, it was like, huh, like kind of wrapping my head around that. And like, yeah, just a lot of different growth in a lot of different ways. I feel like if I ever go back to school, it would be for something completely different than music. I, I would never go to school for music. I finished my freshman year and I did like a music business thing, like a music, cause I, I didn't wanna, I, I was worried that by like studying music, I would hate it or something. So I was like, well, maybe I could learn more about the business cause that seems scary. But I never even like got to those classes. I took like gen eds and, like, oh, <laughs> and then yeah. I dropped out. <laughs> so I still know nothing. For all those fields, I feel like college is becoming less and less relevant to, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like preparing you for a specific skill, especially with something like music. It's same with like film and stuff too. I did like a little program thing when I was in high school and then it kind of made me decide like, you know, I was like out of college and I was like, made me decide like, I don't want to go to film school. I, I really love the program, but I was like, I'd already been making videos and stuff like in school by myself with my friends. I can look up YouTube tutorials on like how to use the software to edit and I can like, you know what I mean? So I think the first, like the school can be cool when it, for me, it helped, you know, the stuff I was reading broke down my like existing political, you know, way I saw the world and just helped really open my mind and also like just talking about ideas and whatever. That was the most important part of it for me, but it wasn't, again, the knowledge of stuff you can just get online nowadays. So it's like, well, what is the, is it if it's like community or something else that you get, you know, networking or something else from the school that's beneficial, you know? Yeah. It's not like pe people won't like not listen to your music because like you don't have a degree in it, you know? Right. <laughs> My dad actually called me the other day and he's like, when are you going back to school? And I was like, uh, soon. When did you, <laughs> wait, wait, when did you stop? Uh, like two years ago. Okay. Oh, that's interesting that he's still asking. I know. I was like, is that something you were still thinking? I was like, uh, maybe when I'm like, I've been doing some like online classes here and there throughout the last couple of years. And I think that he thought either I was going to like start doing that full time or actually like go back somewhere. 
was like maybe when I'm like you know a bit older and like I don't have the same like passion and I like I don't know I feel like I'll always have the same passion for music but if if there's ever a time where I don't wake up every day and like need to and think about it and like you know when if I ever stop thinking about it in the same way then maybe I'll go back to school for something else you have so much momentum and stuff going with your career and like everything that you have right now that's so important to just keep going on that because like you said yeah you can always go back and do those things later yeah and it's so rare and like special that people want to hear what you have to say I just yeah it feels like really lucky and too important to just like walk away from Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of Talk House is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Actually, for me, initially, I thought I wanted to do video stuff, and music was, you know, after that. That's why, like, yeah, obviously, like, I do think about my videos as, like, as much as the music, honestly, in a lot Mm -hmm. of cases. But, yeah, I remember being like, I want to make film, video, whatever, but I don't know necessarily what I want to make it about. I, like, know what I want to say and that's like what I'm trying to do now is like there's so much stuff that I feel like I didn't learn in school I've just been listening to books and just trying to listen to all these podcasts and just like Wikipedia binges trying to fill in all the gaps of stuff that I feel like I don't know that I feel like I'm behind on or something that I want to learn and they'll hopefully give me inspiration I'm listening to some podcasts and stuff now where I'm just like I'll literally be sitting there like literally like 10 tabs open googling like I don't know what that word means like they're using <laughs> that word like that's some basic thing or like a friend will text me something like a meme or something and I'm like I don't understand that. I have to Google it. Like, <laughs> there's no shame in it. Like, we're just so lucky that we have that tool at our fingertips. It's funny because for me, I'm like older now and I'm like, oh, and I hear like somebody's dropping out to like do their music career or something. I'm like, that's awesome because you're just, you know, really like being able to get a head start and whatever. But then it's probably maybe there's more judgment from people that are younger that are in school, maybe. It was the best decision I've made, but it was also really difficult because like the first year that I dropped out, I left like my community of friends and I like was kind of like in between New York and LA, not really sure like where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do music and I was touring a little bit and I guess I was writing an album, but the mental toll it took on me was like pretty intense, just like leaving like safety or security in a way. How old were you when you did that? I guess it was three years ago, so I was 19. Okay. 
for me at 19, I did not figure out what I wanted to do or any of that stuff, you know? And I had no experience. Like I had no friends that were doing similar things. Like didn't know anybody in like the quote unquote industry or whatever either. Mm -hmm. It's Even still today, I feel, I always still feel like I'm like on the outside of a lot of stuff, but not in a bad way, just like in a, that's just how it is kind of way, you know? How did you find your team and assemble that and build your empire? (laughs) Well, it's so weird. So I was originally a duo called Toast with like my friend Josh. (laughs) Oh, whoa. Okay. We were a duo for four months. We put out one EP. It was four songs or five songs. And we were this music business program thing that I was in encouraged us to go to South by Southwest and gave us student passes. Oh, cool. And so we went... Me and Josh went and I had this acoustic song on SoundCloud that was in rotation or like people were listening to it, just this random song. And I remember like someone, I think it was like at a SoundCloud event or something. I was just sitting there and I started talking to this guy sitting next to me and he's like, yeah, like I work at Terrible Records. Like, And Josh like is like obsessed with like Solange and Blood Orange. And he was like, oh my God, I love that label. Like, And he's like, what do you guys do? Do you make music? And we're like, hmm, I don't know, like, kind (laughs) of. And he's like, well, send it to me. Like, if you make music, I'd love to hear it. And then he ended up, like, managing us for a little bit. That story is almost like an ad for South by Southwest or something (laughs) for, like, to be, like, it's worth it for, like, artists to go there, like, and network and whatever. We really just went as, like, music fans. Like, we went to go see the showcase, too. I was, like, aware of it because... I was just like really obsessed with SoundCloud at the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And I was like making friends on through SoundCloud. And we just like went to go see someone, like one of my friends play or something. From like my, one of my Instagram friends that I didn't even like know in person. Yeah. No, it's funny because I need to get less shy about DMing people. I'm still like weirdly like shy about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why would they, why would somebody like want to talk to me? I still have like a, sometimes like a, like I'm just a big dork type mentality, you know? But I have I'll definitely met friends and people through Instagram and, you know, and then end up working with them or becoming really good friends with them. Absolutely. But I always admire when people are like, hey, what's up? They're pretty bold about something. Cause yeah, I think even I'm like, scared of or like asking people to collab or stuff like that do you think you're like an introverted person definitely growing up I would have always said extroverted I did those personality tests and I'm like extroverted if I'm in a social situation like a large situation I'm very much like loud and like being stupid doing stupid dumb jokes forcing everybody to laugh at bad jokes or like dad jokes or whatever the fuck but yes yeah (laughs) but pretty much after my first tour or like when I started touring I became a lot more introverted because I think that I was For my work, all of my energy was going like outwards to meet and greets and performing on stage and meeting people. And I'd be going to parties, sort of work related or I'm DJing or, you know, whatever. And I love doing all of that stuff. But it was something where then I think it became like I gain energy and recharge from being, you know, more by myself sometimes. But I think that that and that's like the definition, I guess, of where you like recharge, like where you get your energy from. But I also do get a lot of energy from being with people, but it depends. It's got to be the right people. Yeah, same. I'm always like so confused about it because I get drained socially so easily. No matter what, I'm I'm just like exhausted every time I like hang out with someone. Even just a one-on-one. Yeah, totally. But like I love parties. Like I love going to parties and like being stupid and just like meeting a bunch of people. I don't like small talk. That I find really draining. Like I like to just get right into something interesting because otherwise I'm just like... Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, you know. (laughs) But also, 
I think COVID totally lowered my, I noticed that when I first was able to start being around people like on a film set and stuff like that, then I was like, oh my God, like I just want to sit in the corner on my phone for a bit and just read something or like recharge because I was getting drained pretty quickly. I think I'm just getting way more exhausted socially. And I don't know if that's just because I'm not 19 anymore or if it's because of COVID. Probably a mix of both. I mean, well, for me, it definitely, it did happen as I got a bit older, but also, yeah, the COVID thing, I feel like it's just the most, because like, also just like, you know, I feel like all of us are spending so much more time on the internet and on our phones. And weirdly, it's with the internet and phones, I think it's literally like a brain chemical thing where if I'm like, okay, I'm bored, I'm, I'm Wikipediaing something. You get to do all of the things that you want. And each time you do that, it gives you like a little bit of, I don't know if it's dopamine or like serotonin or whatever, but it gives you instant gratification release of like you want something and then you immediately can get it. And with conversation, it's like somebody might be telling some boring story about one of their friend's dogs or something. And you're just like, I am waiting for this to be over, but I cannot escape. And it's like less like immediate gratification or whatever. I just started hanging out with like other like vaccinated people and I'm like, wait, we can like just sit here and talk to each other. That's so fun. Yeah. I don't know. The touring stuff is really crazy. You were going to be on tour, right? And then it got canceled. I was going to be on tour. I'm interested like what your reaction to that was and like how that has made you, if at all, rethink your career and like what it means. Because like, I think to me, it gave me so much more time to think about all this other stuff that I wanted to do that I hadn't had time to do before. And that was really cool. I'm doing more like fashion stuff that I'm working on. All this other stuff that is a part of my art that's not necessarily directly related to just music touring, like making music and touring. What was your emotional arc with the like touring thing and how you see your career and stuff? I don't give myself any time to reflect on tour or to like process anything that's happening to me. So like even like personal stuff, if I'm on tour for an extended amount of time, I just like let things happen. I have experiences. And then when I get home, I'm like, oh, that was a lot. <laughs> so I feel like when I got home and like COVID started, I just had this like extended period of time to be like, whoa, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Or whoa, that person, that was fucked up, you know? And I don't know. I'm excited about the prospect of touring maybe happening next year or later this year because that means that it could happen and that you know COVID is a bit more tamed at least in the U.S. but I think it has to happen differently I think it was to every artist that I talk to about touring is like it's the hardest thing ever on your body and on your mind and like I just like I feel like we wouldn't have like processed that or understood that until unless we took this long of a break. Yeah, it's interesting because like, weirdly, I was actually relieved that my like in a weird way, like first I was in denial and then I accepted I went through like all the stages of like whatever grief and stuff. But then I was like, ended up being relieved that my tour had gotten canceled because it was going to be like a really grueling one. And it wasn't going to be it was like, not going to be that beneficial in certain ways to me. Mm -hmm. Especially when you don't have like the budget to do it in a comfortable way. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. And it's just like cheapest everything. Like, you know, I'm fucking, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I booked my first tour that I did for my first album, Flamboyant. I like booked all the dates myself and like I had a spreadsheet. Whoa. I spent like months doing it. It was crazy. It was like, I wasn't making, I was like barely making music after I made the album. Cause I was like, now I'm making, I'm like, Booking, booking the tour. The other thing I was gonna that I wanted to talk to you about too, because I think it's like 
interesting and especially with stuff like you know pride month and whatever what your thoughts are because it's just stuff that I've been thinking a lot and feeling like kind of conflicted about in different ways you know when when places ask you to be a part of something for like a pride thing and then you're like okay how much am I like giving a voice to people and then how much am I like allowing myself to be used as a tool to for like moral currency to like make some either a company or organization or whatever like look good Mm -hmm. you know and it's like we're moving into this period in time where you know gay rights as like an aesthetic has been so co-opted by corporations and capitalism and even even like government and politicians using that as a way to kind of distract from other less desirable policies that they and actions that they do so it's just an interesting time because I feel like for a long time it was really important because there was just zero visibility for like a lot of like like that were not that many queer or like gender non-conforming trans artists and stuff but then now I can't decide you know is it like oh, is it just that I don't want to be put in a box? Is it that I feel like there's a broader question that we have to talk about, you know, in terms of being marketed in this way and what, you know, what's good for society, what's not. And then also like what's good for, you know, an artist individually. Like there's so many playlists and things that early on I got on, you know, that were because they were queer inclusive and that I might have not otherwise been on. And like that, you know, is amazing for, for me and for other artists and stuff. And I never, ever want to you know, take that for granted that people were trying to give visibility to, you know, left represented people. But I'm just wondering if I feel like things culturally have changed so much in the past, you know, five years. And now that we're like no longer under Trump and the Democrats are in office, you know, what does this mean culturally and for the way that we're like viewing things like it felt more radical to just be like doing anything gay under Trump was like felt radical. But now I'm just wondering, yeah, if you have any thoughts on all this. Well, I don't think Biden is any like... (laughs) Biden kind of sucks a lot and like absolutely I, I still think most things are probably radical if you ask Biden but like in terms of pride month I've been thinking about this so much especially this year for some reason I've been thinking about it a lot and whew, I don't know where to start I know it's a big one it's a big one and it's hard too because it's like oh you know I don't want sometimes we as artists, we need that support, like financially and otherwise. And it's like, you don't want to alienate people. But I think I feel like we can have a safe conversation about this here, you know? It's kind of like a double-edged sword in the way that, okay, like trans, I'm a musician who's trans and there's not a lot of visibility for like trans people in music. And I feel like sometimes in order, if I want to be more visible and I want more people to listen to my music, I just have to like not talk about being trans. So I'm not like labeled as like a trans artist or a queer artist. But at the same time, I'm getting offered like this big like pride opportunity. And do I say no to that? It's like, why aren't you like putting pride under like a like cis straight passing person's name for everything? You know, like even though they're gay, like, you know, you mean to say that like if you I don't know if I understand just the last part you're saying, like if you turned it down, you mean that it would go to like some like cis or no? no, no, no. I mean, like, it's like, why are you asking me this as opposed to like there's plenty of like LGBTQ plus musicians who are more like straight passing or who are cis and like I feel like they don't talk about being queer they don't like do any like of these pride opportunities and they happen to be like way more visible you know I'm glad that we're talking about this because I think I was confused too because I think that I'd been thinking of it from the other perspective which is that like because a lot of the opportunities and stuff that like where I just really got started like being able to even 
play shows or like get press and whatever was really people that were supporting like specifically like LGBT queer um, artists, oh, you know? Okay. Yeah. So for me, that was like to turn it to, to like turn that down would have been like, I wouldn't be getting exposure versus like, like it was helping me gain, you know, exposure versus turning away people because I was nicheifying myself too much at least. But you know, I think you're in the bigger picture. You're right. Like when you make that the central focus, you are like turning away more just like people in general. But I think that coming from the perspective of an artist that's just starting out, I think it can be who is queer. I think it's like a different perspective. I totally see what you're saying. Like I, I think there's so many different ways to look at it. I don't really see how, let's say this, like, like a giant shoe company or whatever reaches out to you and they're like, where are rainbow sneakers? And you're like, why though? Like, that's not going to do anything for me. That's just like helping you look cool. It's so tricky. I, like, I don't know how to navigate it. I don't know what to say yes to or what to do. Yeah, because I guess like one of the questions too is that, you know, okay, so you go nowadays, like you go to Target and it's like, you know, during June and it's like the whole huge like pride, you know, whatever in the front of the store. And it's like, that's, you know, I think like, okay, what's that doing? On the one hand, it's normalizing queerness in a way or gayness or whatever. I have family that's like some part of the family that is like not down with that stuff at all. Yeah, same. And, you know, for them to walk into a store and have to see that, does that what does it do? Does it open their mind? Does it further alienate them? Do they feel like their values are even more under attack by mainstream society? Or is it good for visibility? Is it just helping the company profit? Maybe there are some things where a portion goes to like a charity. I don't really know. The corporate angle on that is a very tricky one because then often like, especially with music, like artists don't make that much money from sources other than like, like, like brands is a huge way that artists have to survive with making money to be able to you know, continue their operation for a lot of artists, you know? That, yeah, totally. So it's like, I also don't blame anybody who like takes those opportunities and needs those and stuff. I don't know what like your social scene is like, but I feel like very much I'm like in a bubble sometimes of like very progressive people and very queer people. And then I forget that, okay, maybe like Target does kind of need to be, and not that Target needs to be doing this because they definitely profit off of like rainbow capital, you know, rainbow capitalism. It's, it sucks. I do forget that like, to some people, they need that representation. And I mean, they deserve better representation, but I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tricky time because some people are, everybody's in a really different situation, a really different place. Yeah. I remember seeing stuff that was like, like seeing weird stuff at like the checkout aisle of, I don't know, maybe a Walgreens or something. You know, shit just that has random like pink ribbon on it. Like this is back in the day, you know, it's like breast cancer awareness and be like so many st- things which have like a random pink ribbon on it. And then you're like, wait a second, people used to be selling this for like breast cancer awareness and then that became a thing. And then it'd be like random stuff that has nothing to do. Like it's not going to breast cancer awareness at all. Like it's not being donated. If money's being donated to a charity that actually impacts people's lives in a positive way like that but yeah if it's just rainbow sneakers and then there's no like financial benefit for the queer community then I'm like you know I think that's not good at all yeah 100 percent it's uh pride month it needs to be adjusted yeah I think it can be used for like educational stuff and I think it is you know it's like okay this is the time of the month where we like we come back to reflecting on like also like the status of what this means now in history. People talk about like pride started as a protest and things like that. And like all those stories and histories are so useful and important to bring up and for like political education and stuff. But 
yeah, it's interesting because as artists, we're part of an industry, like, you know, and, and like, and capitalism. So it's like, just always good to talk to other artists and think about it and to know, to know that I'm not the only person wondering about this, these kind of questions and stuff, you know? Yeah, no, we should talk about it more. I'll just update you on my thoughts. Cool, same. I will too, as I as I think about it more, yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. That's it. Yeah, this has been so awesome talking to you. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Hopefully we can hang out soon too. Hell yeah, all right, this was sick. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast and thanks to Claude and Dorian Electra for chatting. If you like what you heard, follow TalkHouse on all your favorite podcast services and social media channels. This episode was produced by Melissa Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.